The following program is underwritten by the Christmas City Gift Show. It's time now to get the hell out of your life. A weekly broadcast with real people, sharing real struggles, and offering real hope. Today's show will encourage, inspire, and empower you to face life's challenges with a bold confidence and renewed hope. Now, let's join our host, Ron Myers, the promoter. Hello, my friends. It is so good to be with you. I want to say hi to all the cruisers that may be listening to the show. This is called Get the Hell Out of Your Life, where I talk about God's stories or people share their story. But today, I have a guest that's going to talk about something, well, we don't hear a lot about, and that is the end times. His name is Jeff Kinley. Now, there are no breaks in today's show because it's so power-packed, I did not want to miss one second of the information. Let's go right now to my guest, Jeff Kinley. Well, hello, Jeff. How are you doing today? Doing great, Ron. Thanks for having me on. Jeff the title of your book is called Wake the Bride. Why that name and why did you write the book? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, <clears throat> Jesus, in speaking to the seven churches in Revelation uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, says, wake up. And the reason he did that was because uh, the churches, at least five of those churches, had strayed or wandered from the original path of what a church should be and what, what a church should do. And, and so he had to wake them up because they had fallen asleep. And you know, as I look around today, Ron, I see a lot of churches that are doing a lot of activity, uh, but I wonder if they, they have been spiritually uh, woken up by Christ. And, you know, the way those churches are woken was because of the vision that Jesus gave John in Revelation chapter 1. So uh, that really dilated their spiritual pupils and caused them to uh, be, uh, I, I say it's like a, a quad shot of espresso to the soul when you read uh, Revelation, because it certainly does get your attention. What exactly is Bible prophecy? Yeah, good question. Well, t about 28% of the, of the whole Bible was prophetic when it was written, and uh, there are over a thousand uh, prophecies in the Bible. And God basically likes to give his people a heads up on history. In other words, God likes to tell us what's coming, almost like when you go to a movie and you see a sneak preview of something that's coming. You don't always get the whole movie, but you do get a little snippet of it. And God has done that all throughout the Bible. He did it in the Old Testament uh, regarding prophecies regarding Israel, uh, regarding the first coming of Jesus. Uh, Jesus gave a lot of prophecies regarding the end times. And, of course, Paul and John did as well in Revelation and Daniel as well. And so God just simply likes to tell us what's going to happen so that we can either prepare for it or know how to help others prepare for it. Why should I care about Bible prophecy? <laughs> yeah, good question. Well, I think the first thing is, is that it's in the Bible. And if you love the Bible, then, and you're a believer, then you obviously are going to love Bible prophecy. Because it's, like I said, it's, it's almost a third of, of the whole Bible there. Uh, the second thing is because of what it does for us. I mean, as I said, prophecy does give us a heads up on history, but it does so many other things for us. Um, Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the idea there, Ron, is that the more we study Bible prophecy about what's going to happen specifically in the future, we fall more in love with Jesus Christ because prophecy is about Jesus. Another thing that prophecy does for us is that it really does build up our, our faith and our confidence in the Word of God. For example, if we look back in the Old Testament, we see all those prophecies that were fulfilled <clears throat> literally and exactly as predicted about the first coming of Christ, then we have every confidence to believe that all the future prophecies about the world and about Christ are also going to be fulfilled literally and exactly as God predicted. So 
in a world today that's attacking the scriptures, attacking our faith, uh, Bible prophecy really is a convincing apologetic to help people see, wow, they got it right every single time. 2,500 years ago, Jeremiah or Daniel prophesied this, and all of a sudden it came true. So, uh, so it really does give us hope and, and confidence in the scriptures as well. I have a new app uh, for my GPS. It's called Waze. And I love it because it tells me on the road ahead of a coming accident and it will detour me. In other words, what you just said is it's good to know what's coming ahead, especially according to the Bible, because if the Bible is true and I believe it's true. God is giving us signs to be aware of uh, kind of almost like warning signs, aren't they? No, absolutely. That's a great analogy there, because that's exactly what Bible prophecy really does for us. It tells us what's ahead. Uh, so that we can avoid certain things. For example, talks about the spirit of Antichrist in the last days. Well, if we understand what the spirit of Antichrist is, and we can recognize that currently in our world, uh, it prevents us from becoming like five of those churches in Revelation chapter chapters 2 and 3 that, that did fall away both doctrinally, morally, and spiritually uh, from the Lord. Uh, probably also in that whole vein, Ron, it, kind of like a check engine light you know it when that check engine light comes on it's a it's a warning to say hey you need to pay attention here and god is really flashing those check engine lights all over the world right now for believers to see and to hear and so when we get our our christian focus outside of our own selves and our own lives then we can see what god is doing in the world and also what satan's up to as well jeff are we living in the last days well according to first john uh, john says that he says children in first uh, chapter two of the please verse 18 says children it is the last hour so if john believed in the first century that we were living in the last days then certainly two thousand years later we're living in the last days and i think a couple of reasons are convincing towards that ron one is that the super sign of the last days is israel becoming a nation again which was prophesied all throughout the old testament specifically Ezekiel 36 and 37, that once Israel has become a nation, really the prophecies of the book of Revelation are contingent upon Israel becoming a nation because there's so much in Revelation that deals with the nation Israel. And of course, you can't deal with a nation unless the nation exists. So in 1948, Israel became a nation again. And that sort of set in motion uh, some of the other end times events. And the second thing is that we're seeing the things that we see in Revelation. We're not seeing them being fulfilled right now uh, in Revelation, Matthew 24, which Jesus prophesied. But we're seeing the precursors of those things or the stage being set. And so as we look around us, it's like, you know, 2,000 years, we've really been waiting for these things to happen. And now the, the, the players are being put into place. The stage is being set uh, geopolitically, globally, uh, with global governance, with just globalism that's happening right now with morality in the world, uh, with what's happening with the nations coming against Israel. All these things are prophesied in Scripture, and they're telling us of a great convergence. And so that basically says that, we're, we're yes, we're in the last days. We're not in the very last days yet, uh, but it does tell us that uh, the clock is ticking. We're probably well into the fourth quarter here. You know, years ago, uh, Jeff, when Ronald Reagan was the president, if you spell Ronald Wilson Reagan, it had six letters, six letters, six letters. There were people saying that he was the Antichrist. So tell us a little bit about the Antichrist. I don't think Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. <laughs> no, he definitely wasn't the Antichrist. A um, couple of things about the um, about the Antichrist that people might not know is that people typically like to try to figure out who he is. And uh, you know, usually when they come to their conclusion about who they think he might be, 
it ends up being someone that uh, coincidentally is on the other side of the political aisle. In other words, it's somebody that you like to hate anyway. Uh, so they, they identify them. When, they, when you can start counting up letters and people's names, um, you really kind of get off into uh, an aberrant uh, way to interpret the Bible. Uh, scripture never tells us to count letters and people's names and that kind of thing. However, uh, there is a uh, sort of a, a Hebrew letter equivalent uh, that can be translated to each person's name, and you can kind of get a numerical value of someone's name. But again, as you said, it, that's been applied to, to Ronald Reagan, Henry Kissinger, Barack Obama, John F. Kennedy, uh, Bill Clinton. I mean, you name it, just about every world leader has kind of been identified that. But the thing that we know in Scripture from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it tells us that the Antichrist will not be revealed to the world until the church is taken away. And so people that try to speculate right now who the Antichrist is, if they think they know, then the, the sad news is they've been left behind. And, and so, <laughs> so God tells us that, uh, that we won't know who the Antichrist is until um, the, the church has been, I believe, raptured from the planet. And then the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel. That officially begins the, the last seven years of, of um, life as we know it on planet Earth. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a speculation. It's kind of a foolhardy speculation to um, try and guess who the Antichrist is. But when he comes on the scene, he'll bring world peace. Uh, he will lead, the Bible says, a ten-nation coalition that will uh, essentially rule the world. And uh, he'll bring this whole globalist uh, idea that's being pushed by Joe Biden and by the World Economic Forum. And, World Health Organization, and other global elites, he'll bring that to fruition. So uh, it will be one world under Antichrist. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I thought about that in when you were speaking is this push now for the one world government. Uh, there are signs, so you're right. We do need to wake, wake up. You know, the title of your book, Wake the Bride, exactly who is the bride and who's the bridegroom? Yeah, great question. Yeah, the bride is the church, the, the redeemed of Christ that go from that began at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 all the way up to uh, Jesus coming back for his bride, which is an event we call the rapture. So that whole era there is called the church age. So it began in, in um, you know, early, the early part of the first century, around 34, 33 AD, and it will end at a, at a certain point to be determined by God. But it's all those who are part of the, the church and not the not the church you go to on Sunday, but the church of people that truly have a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ. That's the true church. And Jesus called us, uh, referred to us as uh, someone that he's going to come back for one day. And that he was talking about a Jewish custom in John chapter 14 about uh, a groom who would uh, be betrothed to his beloved. And then he would go away to his father's house and build onto his father's house. And then at a, the Jewish custom was at a, at a certain season, he would come back and surprise his bride and snatch her up and take her away to the father's house where they would celebrate uh, the wedding and then the wedding feast. And so that analogy applies to us in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul talks about us being the bride of Christ. And so we are Christ's bride. He has promised uh, to uh, come back for us one day at an unannounced time. And uh, so the idea is that the bride needs to be awake. Uh, she needs to have her wedding garments ready at any time for her beloved bridegroom to return. When you say wedding garments are chapter three, you have a titled wedding dress. What do you mean? Yeah, the wedding dress is really the the, the inner heart, the, the personal character. Uh, it's who we are as we prepare ourselves uh, for Christ. And, you know, uh, every bride wears a white wedding garment. You know, when she, uh, she her bride gown or bridal gown or wedding dress, it's white. It symbolizes purity. 
And in the same way, uh, the Bible says that that our righteous deeds for Christ, that what we do for him right now, are pictured as fine white linen in Revelation chapter 19. And so as we prepare for him, it's the idea that we don't have any other lovers. I mean, we're, we're betrothed to one, one person, uh, to Jesus alone. And so our allegiance and our loyalty is to him. Our citizenship ultimately is in heaven, uh, Philippians 3.20 tells us. And so we're simply uh, waiting and preparing ourselves and our hearts. Uh, we're living for him. We're obeying him. Uh, we're, we're doing what he has prepared and called us to do. And living like that, uh, living with other believers and like-mindedness like that, is really what helps us prepare for that glorious wedding day. You said a few minutes ago when you are talking about the bridegroom that the bridegroom will surprise the bride. In other words, this announcement of when Jesus is coming back, it's not going to come with TV commercials on Fox or Newsmax or Billboard. It comes like a thief in the night, right? It just, he's, we better be prepared at all times. No, absolutely. And there's a parable of the 10 virgins in yes. Matthew 25 that, that speaks of the, of the wedding custom. It's not talking about the rapture of the wedding custom there is of the fact that the bridegroom uh, comes with his, essentially his best man. And he comes to the house of the uh, the bride to be, and he says, "Behold, the bridegroom cometh." And all of a sudden, she's got to be ready. She's got to have oil in her lamp, and that kind of thing, or, or the bridesmaids do rather. And so, the idea is that the rapture event is an unannounced event. We call it a signless event. There are no signs leading up to the rapture. Uh, that's why we have to be prepared at all times. The second coming of Christ, which we see at the end of Revelation, Revelation 19, uh, is preceded by many, many signs. And uh, Jesus talked about those in Matthew chapter 24, and we see them in Daniel as well. Uh, but the rapture happens earlier. It happens before uh, the second coming. And so, yeah, we, that's why we just have to be uh, on, on go. It's, it's almost like, you know, if, you're a, if you've ever played on a sports team, you know, you're sitting on the bench. You've got to be ready at any time for the coach to say, hey, get in the game. Yeah. You know, and so we've got to be prepared. We've got to be suited up. We, our hearts have got to be ready. Our minds got to be uh, in the right gear. And so. Uh, that's why I wrote this book, Wake the Bride, because I want the church, the true church, to be ready for Jesus when he comes. In one part of the book, I wrote a note uh, because I want to remind people that the rapture is about re rescuing. You use the term rescuing believers before his wrath is poured out. So it's really important that we're ready because if we don't get raptured, whoever's left here will be under the wrath of God. Did I get that right? Basically, what happens is that every Christian that is a Christian at the time of the rapture, they're going to be raptured. They're going to be taken to heaven. However, depending upon how we lived for Christ and what we did for him, there will be varying degrees of rewards in heaven. So part of the idea of being a Christian is if you're not ready, and if you have not been living for Christ as you should, then when he comes, it's like, the wedding day, but you're not dressed, you're not showered, you're not ready for the wedding, and it's going to be kind of embarrassing, uh, and there's not going to be many rewards for you. Once that happens, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 tells us that the restrainer will be taken out of the way, and that's when the, the Antichrist will be revealed. In other words, the last seven years will happen. So, so essentially what happens is the Holy Spirit himself does not leave the earth, but his influence through the church, through the bride of Christ, does leave the earth because he's omnipresent. He, he can't not be here. But in, in the way that he's working through Christians right now, that will not be anymore. And so there will be people that will come to, to faith during the tribulation, but the Bible tells us that they're going to pay for it. 
with their very lives are going to be beheaded. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 says, so it's going to be a, a horrific time. God's pouring out his wrath on the earth. And that's one reason why, Brian, I don't believe we're going to be here during that time is because Jesus has already suffered all the wrath of God for us. Uh, he took the full fury of God's anger towards our sin on the cross. And so when we become Christians, the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're we're avoiding God's wrath, just like Noah avoided uh, experiencing the flood, just like Lot avoided the raining down fire brimstone uh, from Sodom and Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to be avoiding, we're going to avoid the wrath of God and the tribulation. Uh, but those who are left behind, who are not Christians, uh, who have put off a decision for Christ, uh, they're going to suffer the most horrific seven years in the history of planet Earth. Wow. Um, wow. You know, we hear the term will be raptured and go to heaven. What is heaven? I mean, I've watched movies on TV. It sounds like it's going to be fun. They might have bowling alleys up there. They might have (laughs) baseball fields. I'm looking forward to go to heaven. What do we, what is heaven? That's a good question. Well, the simplest definition is heaven is where God is. Heaven is where Jesus is. And uh, Jesus said in John 14 verses one through three, that he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And we read about in Revelation 21 and 22, what, what that place is like. He tells us about the new Jerusalem, essentially. And so God is creating a, a space and a place for us in heaven that is far beyond anything we have ever experienced here on planet Earth. Uh, creation is different. Uh, our relationship with God is pure and perfect. Uh, we have freedoms. We have a new glorified body in heaven. We can do things we never thought we could do. Just like Jesus did, we can transport ourselves from one place to the next. Uh, we're not sick. We're not sorrowful. We're not sad. Uh, God wipes away every tear that's left over from planet Earth. And we enjoy the happiest, uh, most joyous, most celebrative, uh, most meaningful, significant existence that we could possibly imagine. And even just saying those words, Ron, and, and reading what, what the Bible says <clears throat> is almost just scratching the surface of how great heaven is going to be. Uh, so, uh, you know, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 2.25, for who can eat and who can drink and who can have enjoyment apart from God? Wow. And so God is really the author of true meaning, true enjoyment, true happiness. And we can be guaranteed that once we get in heaven, it's not going to be one long church service for eternity, you know, where we're standing up and sitting down and, you know, singing hymns all the time. But at the same time, uh, we're going to experience great worship in heaven. Uh, like we've never before seen, because that's when we're going to see him uh, as he is and be before the throne of God and see the angels and all the redeemed of the ages and the great, great reunions that we're going to have in heaven are just going to be phenomenal. So heaven is, you know, the Bible says in First Corinthians 2 that uh, it hasn't entered the heart of man, nor has he even dreamed of or has our eye even seen the things yeah. that God has prepared for those who love him. Listeners, I will have Jeff Kinley here on the coast January 28th for a day-long conference seminar, and we're going to talk about the end times and the Great Reset. So make that mental date or write it in your calendar January 28th. Now, Jeff, let me ask you something. What is the state of the churches today, especially after the the COVID uh, shutdown of so many churches? There have been, um, in fact, I think that the statistics about 75 churches a week are closing in America. Uh, we're at the lowest church attendance in American history uh, because people have, uh, a lot of people have gone online for their church, uh, and then those people have even dropped away. 
during COVID, a third less people attended church in America. That's a lot of people. And then a third of those are not even going back. They just decided, hey, I got used to not going to church, not being with other believers. So because of that, and because of the churches that are left that are still meeting, uh, many of those, not all of them, but many of those are not really preaching the Bible. Uh, they're more uh, talking, to, giving TED Talks and self-improvement lectures and self-help seminars and that type of thing. And they're not really preaching the Word of God and equipping the saints to live in this dark, challenging world that we're in right now. And so believers are being deceived. They're falling away. They're, they're accepting some of the uh, the worldly doctrines that are out there, the, the things involving gay marriage and even abortion rights and all these other things that Christians are, some Christians are buying into. And so, yeah, so church attendance is falling off. Uh, some pastors are not preaching uh, the full counsel of God. And so the end game is that you have essentially a weak team. You know, it's just like a coach that never trains his, his players or her players. Then guess what? You're not going to win on the field or on the court. And so I think we're seeing that in the world that we're not having the kind of impact and the bride has fallen asleep. We've just become complacent. We've, we've become mediocre. We've become lukewarm, as, as Revelation 3 says. And so uh, that's part of my mission is to help wake the bride. And, you know, during these one-day seminars that I do, these little wake the bride conferences, Ron, I go and I tell people, this is what's happening in the world. This is what the Bible says. This is how you can pre- prepare your heart and be strong, have confidence, have hope, uh, live in this world with a sense of purpose for Jesus Christ. And so, uh, in that little one-day conference, we, we give you a whole lot to think about. Jeff, right now, somebody listening, the alarm clock just went off. They're awake. So now they not, oh, they want to know, what do they do? What would you tell that person that just woke up? Well, I'd say the very first thing is, is just to express that to God, is to tell God just to be completely honest and open for Him. You know, the Scripture says that the Word of God is living and active like a sword, and it pierces to the deepest part of who we are. I would just say, just tell God everything right now, everything that you've experienced, everything that you're feeling, uh, tell him your regrets, confess to him your sins, and then ask him, say, God, would you help make me into the person that you want me to be? And the first thing God will say back is, well, get into my word, get into my word, because that's where you're going to find the, the meat, the milk, the bread, the light, the fire that you need for your life. And then try to connect with some other believers, uh, whether it be through a local church or a Bible study or something like that, and uh, avail yourself of some great Christian resources. Find some trusted speakers and authors that you can trust to help teach you the Bible as well. Uh, the Christian life is like it's like a lot of other things. I mean, you have to work at it. You have to train yourself. You have to be involved in it to get better. And so it's like going to the gym. You can't go to the gym once a, a month or once a year and expect to be in, in shape. You know, there are other things that go along with that. you got to be consistent. But I would just say take those baby steps in the beginning and uh, get yourself plugged in, get yourself connected with your life with God, and then surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you along that path. Now, somebody listening, Jeff, out there that is thinking, well, you know, I used to go to church, but you know what? They don't pay attention to me. I don't go there. I'm just kind of over this church thing, and uh, I do believe in Jesus. What would you tell somebody out there that's just kind of not motivated about anything? Well, I, first of all, I would say I understand that completely because uh, I I was a pastor for over 30 years and, you know, always tried to make people feel welcome and get a personal touch. Uh, that didn't always happen. And because, to be quite honest, churches are they're like people. There are some friendly people. They're unfriendly people. They're caring people, uncaring people. Churches are the same. And so as you look for a church, I mean, you may bump into some churches that might not be as friendly to you. 
Uh, you walk in and they're just you just see them putting on a show on a stage, but they're not really talking to you uh, per se or, or connecting with you. So first of all, I, I really understand that. I would say the very first thing to do would be find another Christian, find a friend who has a like belief that you do, uh, who believes the same thing, and start there. Because, you know, as um, Hebrews 10 tells us, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which obviously God wants us to do. But it says encouraging one another as you see the day of Christ approaching. So I would simply encourage them to start small, start with one friend, start with two friends, and just say, hey, can we have lunch you know, or breakfast once a week and just talk about some spiritual things and maybe go through a book together, maybe something like Wake the Bride. I don't know, you know, you could do, but um, you have to start where you are. You can't jumpstart yourself to maturity or to strength. You have to start where you are and then work from there. So find a person. And from there, you can, those two people can go say, oh, let's see if we can find a church. Doesn't have to be a big church. Uh, it could be a smaller church or something that you can know more people in. And then just start where you are. And when you do that, you find that you gain a little bit of traction. You get a little bit of hope. Uh, you, you find that, hey, I'm, I think I'm, I'm becoming more strong in my faith. And that gives you confidence to continue moving forward. Wow. Well put. Well put. Listeners, Jeff Kimley, the book is called Wake the Bride, Facing These Last Days with Your Eyes Wide Open. Jeff, how do listeners get a copy of your book? Yeah, you can get it anywhere books are sold, uh, your favorite book outlet, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book Distributors, or your uh, local bookstore can order for you as well. Listeners, when this man isn't sleeping, he's writing books. He told me before we went on air, he's up to, is it 38 books? I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, good man. So how do they find out about you? Do you have a website? Yeah, just jeffkinley.com. And uh, there's uh, resources there available. You can sign up for my newsletter that I send out freebies every month and uh, get you connected with kind of a, a strong connection to your spiritual life. And so go to jeffkinley.com. Thank you for being so faithful and obedient to God. You are a blessing. You're blessing or you've blessed me. You've blessed our listeners. So uh, before we go, is there anything you'd like to say that uh, maybe I didn't ask you? Please do. Well, I would just say this is that we're living in very challenging times. Uh, the world is changing at a velocity and at a rate that uh, is unprecedented right now. And so it's time for believers to really look around and pay attention, uh, find some trusted resources to help guide us in these difficult times, because uh, God needs his church and his bride to be awake. And there are lost people out there that need what we have to give to them. So uh, a sleeping bride can't do it, but a, a bride that's awake and ready can give the world a lot of light and a lot of hope. Listeners, Jeff Kinley, the book, Wake the Bride, Facing These Last Days with Your Eyes Wide Open. Can't wait to see you in a few months, uh, Jeff, for your seminar. God bless you, and you have a great day. Ron, thank you. Can't wait to be with you guys. Well, listeners, what a fascinating show of copy of today's program is on my website, thepromoter.org. Share it. Mark the date, January 28th. Right here in Gulfport, there will be a one-day conference with Jeff Kinley. Until next week, this is Ron Myers reminding you, I love you, God loves you, and it is time to get the hell out of your life.
Get the Hell Out of Your Life is produced by Ron Myers Productions and is underwritten by the Christmas City Gift Show. We invite you to come shop with over 250 exhibitors from all over the South. November 11th through the 13th inside a convention center on the beach in Biloxi, Mississippi. You can find more information at ChristmasCityGiftShow.com. If you would like to share your story or listen to previous episodes, please visit our website, thepromoter.org. Join us next week for another episode of Get the Hell Out of Your Life. Real stories, real struggles, and real hopes.